This evening we uh, come to consider man and in his relationship to mathematics. We must inquire at the beginning whether man really needs mathematics. Well, surrounded by a world of number and space and movement, as we saw in the last lecture, man has to study all of these things in order to be able to subdue the world. Fundamental to man's subduing of the universe is man's understanding or perceiving of the nature of the world. Now perceiving, mathane in the Greek, from which our English word mathematics, the science of perception, and the simplest aspects of the nature of humanly perceivable things are of course their quantities and their extensions and their movements. You can't say anything simpler about a dog or a parrot or a sycamore tree than that it is one or three or seven in number, as the case may be. Studying the number of things led to the development of arithmetic, arithmetic being the science of computing various known quantities, and the development of algebra as the science of computing partially unknown quantities by means of symbols. Studying the extensions of objects, the measurements, uh, spatial measurements, led to the development of geometry. That literally means the measure of the earth. Geometry being the science of measuring space. And this also led to the development of trigonometry as the science of triangles. Studying the movements of things led to the development of mechanics as the science of studying motion, and also led to the development of astronomy as the science studying heavenly bodies. At first, of course, astronomy was only concerned with calendar computations. Thus, then, arose and developed the various mathematical sciences. Now, mathematics was first used as a means of solving practical problems. This can readily be seen by comparing the following instances. Adam counted the animals which God brought to him, and Noah calculated the number of creatures that had to go into the ark. For example, four or two pairs of elephants, plus fourteen or seven pairs of sheep, plus four lions, plus fourteen goats, plus four alligators, plus fourteen cattle, plus four pigs, plus fourteen doves, plus four rattlesnakes, plus fourteen grasshoppers, giving a total of ninety animals, plus many other kinds of animals too, including pterodactyls and brontosauruses, we may ask, uh, which will give you the total of 4x plus 14y number of animals. Clearly, these were arithmetical, if not algebraical, operations involving Noah's computation of numbers. Bear in mind, too, that before Noah built the ark, he would have had to have formed an estimate as to the size had God not told him the size. Shall we say that God used algebra to give the right size of the ark uh, in computing its size uh, before telling Noah how big to build it? Because obviously an elephant takes up a little more space than a grasshopper does, and they were both inside of the ark. Elephant being an unclean beast, and a grasshopper being strangely enough a clean, and therefore an edible beast. Uh, second, notice that Adam assessed the distance between the tree of life in the midst of the garden and the other trees uh, on the periphery surrounding the garden. Noah measured the planks to build his three-storied ark, 300 cubits long by 40 cubits broad by 30 cubits high. Certainly, these acts involved at least some knowledge of plane geometry and solid geometry. Notice, too, that Adam and Noah doubtless observed the motions of the sun and the moon. Noah carefully built his sturdy ark and waterproofed it with pitch sufficiently to withstand the mechanical stresses and strains of the great flood. And Ezekiel described the movement of the wheel in the middle of the wheel, which he saw in his first vision. Hence, all of this involves at least an elementary knowledge of terrestrial mechanics and or celestial mechanics alias astronomy. Fourth example, 
When the apostle John heard the number of the 144,000 that were sealed, he arithmetically divided them into 12,000 for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he also saw the angel with the golden reed or measuring rod trigonometrically describe the equal length and breadth and height of the New Jerusalem as being 12,000 furlongs or 1,500 miles uh, in its uh, dimensions. Notice, however, that we are not told whether the shape of the city of the New Jerusalem is that of a cube or a pyramid or a cone. With all three of those shapes, it would be true to say it could be 12,000 furlongs long and broad and high. Pythagoras, fifth example, and now moving outside of Scripture, Pythagoras, tired of having to walk around his large lake in order to get from one point A uh, to another point C, if you look at the diagram a little lower down on the right-hand side, Pythagoras, tired of walking around that lake by walking from A to B and then up to C, simply in order to get from A to C, wondered whether it would perhaps not save time in the future to travel straight from A to C directly across the lake in a boat that he could buy for that purpose. Now Pythagoras knows that he walks at four miles an hour, for it takes him one hour to travel from A to B, which he has measured to be four miles. And he knows it also takes him three quarters of an hour to travel from C to B, which he therefore accurately estimates to be three miles. Now Pythagoras also knows that he can buy a boat uh, from Ulysses that he can row at five miles an hour, but he does not know the nautical distance from A straight to C right across the lake. However, his knowledge of Pythagoras' theorem in geometry tells him that in a right-angled triangle, the square on the hypotenuse, that is the longest side of the triangle, is equal to the sum of the squares on the other two sides. See diagram one uh, on below to your uh, uh, left for a demonstration of that. You see that that is so. That uh, A through C is five miles. You square that, you get 25. 25 must equal uh, CB, which is three miles squared, equals nine square miles, plus AB, which is four miles squared, is 16. 16 square miles plus nine square miles equals 25 square miles. So, if you want to know AC, and that's unknown, all you do is you, you square AB, which is 4, getting 16, and you square CB, which is 3, getting 9, and you add uh, 16 and 9, getting 25, and you take the square root of 25, which is 5, because 5 fives is 25, and presto, you know the distance from A to C. Uh, hence, Pythagoras can calculate the nautical distance from A to C as five miles, so that it would pay him time-wise to invest in a five-mile-an-hour rowboat. Therefore, Pythagoras should buy the boat. Six, an envious preacher wanted to build a Presbyterian church in Memphis with a taller steeple than the tallest Episcopalian church in town. Uh, but he was only able to measure physically the distance between the base of the Episcopalian steeple and where he was standing on the pavement nearby, a distance of 55 feet. However, by means of trigonometry, he easily calculated that the Episcopalian steeple was exactly 111.435 feet high, as you see from diagram 3. Uh, look at the diagram, DE, do you see the little man standing there? That's DE, the distance from his eyes to his feet. Well, DE is the height of the Presbyterian preacher obviously corresponds to BC to the left. Uh, therefore, DE equals BC. And uh, BD, obviously, the distance between the preacher's eyes and uh, similar points directly under the spire is the same as the distance between the preacher's feet and the actual base of the steeple. AC, as you see, is the entire height of the Episcopalian steeple from the tip of the cross right down to where it touches the ground. Now, angle ADB, if you look at that, the angle between the cross, the preacher's eye, and the point right under the steeple 
in line with the preacher's eye, that angle is 62 degrees. And angle BDC, uh, the angle between the point in line with the preacher's eye, the preacher's eye itself, and the base in right under the steeple, that angle is 6 degrees. This you can measure with a theodolite, and if you're very good, perhaps even with a protractor. Uh, therefore, it must follow that AB, the distance between the top of the steeple and the point under the steeple directly in line with the preacher's eye, is uh, equal to CE of the tangent of 62.5 degrees. Therefore, that same distance is 55 of the tangent of 62.5 degrees because the 55 is uh, 62.5 degrees minus the uh, 6 degrees. Therefore, AB is 55 times 1.9210 being the tangent of uh, 62.5 degrees. Therefore, AB, the distance from the top of the, of the crust down to the point under the steeple directly in line with the preacher's eyes, is exactly 105.655 feet. Now you've got to do a little further addition. Therefore, BC, uh, BC, the distance between the preacher's eye and the preacher's toes, is 55, the tangent of 6 degrees, being that angle. Therefore, that same distance is 55 times 0 0.1051, which is the tangent of 6 degrees. Therefore, BC equals 5.7805 feet. Therefore, AC distance between the top of the crust and the base of the steeple is obviously equal to the distance between the top of the crust and the point level with the preacher's eye and plus the distance between the point level with the preacher's eye and the base of the steeple. Therefore, the total length of the steeple is equal to 105.655 feet plus 5.7805 feet. Therefore, AC, the entire uh, height of the steeple is exactly 101.435 feet. Therefore, the new Presbyterian steeple to beat this record should be at least 101.435 plus feet tall. Therefore, 111, thank you. Uh, the new Presbyterian steeple should be exactly 111.435 plus feet tall, and therefore to be on the safe side, the Presbyterian preacher should build a 112-foot steeple to be safe. So we see how practically important it is for us to have a knowledge of mathematics. Now let's take a look at the historical development of mathematics. Now man first calculated on his fingers as you'll see if you read the Bible. I, I've never managed to establish why many school teachers are against kindergarten children counting on their fingers, because this is the way it all started, as I've demonstrated from the Bible. Clearly, the age-old decimal system, counting by tens, roots in the ten digits or fingers. The Latin word digitar means fingers, from which we get our word digits and by extension the ten toes of our God-created feet, hence the ten toes of Daniel and the ten kings in the book of Revelation. Indeed, the decimal abacus, or counting frame, invented to duplicate and speed up counting on the fingers, was in widespread use in the ancient world and is still being used in the Orient to this very day. Undoubtedly, even before the great dispersion of mankind into nations at the Tower of Babel, Early man must already have had a good grasp of arithmetic and geometry in order to be able to build the Tower of Babel prior to 3000 BC. Compare Genesis 10 through 11. Indeed, archaeological records of mathematical processes have been found written on Babylonian cylinders dividing the circle into 360 degrees. And Egyptian papyri, including trigonometrical material, undoubtedly used in planning and constructing the ancient pyramids have also been found. Now, if arithmetic and geometry are ultimately traceable back to Adam and Noah, as we've seen, and later to the ancient Babylonian ziggurats, or towers, and the ancient Egyptian pyramids, the first written traces of algebra, remember it seemed to me likely that Noah used algebra, but we can't prove it, 
but the first clear proof that algebra was being used used are found in a hieratic papyrus copied by armies in Egypt about 1700 BC shortly after the time of Abraham which can be transliterated from the Egyptian as x over 7 plus x equals 19 by the way he wasn't a very good mathematician because if you substitute any figure for x you'll see that it's bad arithmetic but anyway the principle is established from Egypt algebra apparently migrated to Greece where it was used to solve geometrical problems the Greeks uh, were very interested in geometry as Keats said uh, owed to the Grecian urn beauty is truth and truth is beauty that is all you know and all you need to know Greeks were interested in dimensions they were not particularly interested in unknown quantities or even in arithmetic but they did later apply arithmetic and algebra to demonstrate geometry it was especially in ancient Greece then that mathematics really began to develop as a science particularly the, the science of geometry more than a thousand years after Abraham had used primitive geometry in Canaan remember to measure around the piece of land that God had given him geometry was being studied as a science in Miletus on the west coast of Asia Minor in 600 BC there Thales drawing from oriental knowledge acquired from the caravans en route from the fertile crescent from Egypt through Mesopotamia not only mathematically proved many geometrical propositions regarding the nature of triangles and circles but Thales even astrometrically that means by measuring distances between stars correctly forecast a future eclipse of the Sun his work was carried on by his famous pupil Pythagoras who also demonstrated the relationship between proportions and irrational quantities and between mathematics and music that was fascinating Pythagoras was the first person that scientifically demonstrated that if you had a stringed instrument the sounds that you get out of plucking these strings uh, bears a direct or an inverse proportion to the geometrical length of the string uh, that he demonstrated and in subsequent centuries Hippocrates of Chios wrote the first Greek textbook on mathematics Plato and Aristotle made mathematics more orderly Euclid standardized plane geometry around 300 BC Archimedes discovered pi the relationship between the radius of a circle and the circumference thereof and uh, Archimedes also made major contributions to mathematics including the Archimedes screw and the Archimedes point which Doerwirt uh, applied in a slightly different way later in his philosophy around about 240 BC and Apollonius of Perga wrote eight books on conics or the science of cones around about 225 BC it was particularly to geometry that the Greeks applied the other mathematical sciences for example Pythagoras's theorem that was the lake problem we dealt with earlier was verified algebraically by letting the geometrical dimension dimensions AB and BC and AC those are the three sides of the, the triangle respectively equal the algebraical X and Y and Z so that Z squared equals X squared plus Y squared this was also verified arithmetically too as 4 squared plus 3 squared equals 5 squared or 16 plus 9 equals 25 by letting the algebraical X and Y and Z equal respectively the arithmetical 4 and 3 and 5 compared to the great Euclid's formula A times B plus C equals AB plus AC verify that arithmetically uh, 2 times 3 plus 4 equals 2 times 3 plus 2 times 4 and also Euclid's A plus B times A minus B equals A squared minus B squared uh, arithmetical verification 2 plus 3 times 2 minus 3 equals 4 minus 9 equals minus 5 etc however in AD 300 Diophantes divorced algebra as a separate science from geometry by formulating indeterminate algebraical equations for example z squared equals x squared plus y squared resolving a larger square number into the sum of two smaller square numbers and x squared plus y squared equals z squared whereby he determined three square numbers in arithmetical progression 
After this, the mathematical brilliance of the Greeks declined and was ultimately lost, although even down through the Dark Ages, some of this was preserved and even added to by Hindus like the algebraist Aryabhata. With his root theory, he developed the square roots, cube roots, and so forth. And Arabs like Al-Khwarazmi with his theory of equations. Uh, uh, of course, the Arabs, the Muslims, they had a tremendous contribution to Western civilization as far as astronomy was concerned. Uh, but I think that their mathematical contribution is somewhat overrated. Now, they did indeed make great contributions, but a lot of it they were just rehashing from the Greeks. So before we downplay the West and upplay the Orient, let's, let's, let's remember that. Uh, it was, of course, the Orientals who gave us our modern system of numeral notation. Uh, we re recall those numbers 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, etc. Arabic numerals, but probably they are Hindu numerals, you know, which ultimately were developed in India. And new contributions in the field of astronomy slowly filtered into medieval Europe during the Dark Ages. Now, in the time of the Renaissance, Regio Montanus brought about a Copernican revolution, turned the whole science of mathematics upside down in the area of plane and spheroid trigonometry. Later, Tartaglia and Viette fathered modern algebra. Then Descartes, very important philosopher, humanist, brought this to bear on geometry resulting in his successor Pierre de Fermé's crystallization of what he called the Cartesian geometry in contradistinction to the previous classic or Euclidean geometry. This was a turning point in the history of mathematics. This time you may be saying, what has all this got to do with our modern world? Well, a lot as we'll see. This paved the way for Newton's discoveries, particularly the field of gravitation, and Leibniz's development of calculus as the science of mathematical limits. The result was a great stimulation of modern scientific and technological progress, especially after Gunther's invention of the first slide rule in 1620, of Napier's construction of logarithms being a method for simplifying the manipulation of many digited or many decimal numbers and trigonometrical operations of Euler's systematization of trigonometry, which up to that point had not been regarded by mathematicians as a branch of mathematics, but as some kind of a, a riddle exercise as a pastime for people in their homes. Amazing what people used to do to amuse themselves before we got TV. And Pascal's invention of the first successfully operational calculating machine. Blaise Pascal, who by the way was a Christian, a very largely Calvinized Christian who never quite broke with the Roman Catholic Church, but who did believe in justification by grace through faith alone. Now, all of these post-reformational discoveries, in turn, promoted the development of percentage interest tables and compound interest tables for commercial calculations, and of differential equations and elliptical functions and differential geometry and other concepts. And all of these developments had a profound impact, especially when applied to physics. The 19th century, things were again shaken up. Lobachevsky, the Russian, developed non-Euclidean geometry, investigating the problems of curvature. Riemann continued this work. Klein and Lee, no relation to me, developed group theory. Weierstrauss corrected the foundations of analysis, Cantor propounded the infinite set theory, and that's a problem to me as a Christian, the whole idea of transfinite numbers, infinite numbers. To me, uh, I don't know that we can talk about that. Different, different names, but God alone is transfinite or infinite, seems to me. That's just by the way. Poincaré, very brilliant intuitionistic mathematician, extended analysis as the science of existing mathematical structures, and Gibbs developed vector analysis as the science investigating velocity in particular. And, of course, in our own 20th century, maths is still developing. Bertrand Russell unfolded mathematical logic. Albert Einstein developed the theory of relativity. And within the last decades, particularly cybernetics, that is, the science controlling communication, has been developed. Compare automation, electronics, radar, sonar, computer science, etc. 
Now let's look at the interrelationship of the various mathematical sciences. We've just indicated that the mathematical sciences unfolded interdependently upon one another in their historical development. Before geometry could develop much further, it had to have feed-ins from mathematics and algebra, and vice versa. In ancient times, trigonometry and algebra were applied to the geometrical construction of the pyramids in Egypt. Later, the Greeks too, as we've seen, sought algebraical verification of geometry. And algebra, in its turn, is obviously simply a refined development of arithmetic. Even today, arithmetical operations are constantly being used in geometry and in calculus, etc., etc. Just consider the following examples of the use of one mathematical science, the science of algebra, in other mathematical sciences. The use of algebra in arithmetic, as in the formula S equals D over T, speed equals distance divided by time. Use of algebra in geometry, a, uh, a times B squared plus B times C squared equals A times C squared. That's Pythagoras' theorem algebraically verified, the lake, the lake problem. Uh, function of algebra in trigonometry, pi over 10 plus 4 times pi over 10 equals pi over 2. That's one I worked out myself. Uh, uh, verify that. Uh, uh, ge uh, geometrically, 18 degrees plus uh, 72 degrees equals 90 degrees, where pi equals 22 over 7 equals 180 degrees equals a straight line, in other words, which of course is the uh, pi being the relationship between the radius and the circumference of the circle. In calculus, uh, limit equals the differential of x1 uh, uh, the x2 uh, the square root of 1 plus y squared dx that's the formula for the length of any curve where v equals phi times x the formula for the length of any curve between any two of the points of that curve this is very important you can't get to the moon unless you've thoroughly mastered this which is why I haven't been to the moon yet I'm, I'm wondering whether Adam did get to the moon before the fall as some fundamentalists think in statics, a uh, branch of uh, mechanics, y capital Z minus z capital y uh, equals the sum uh, times z capital X minus x capital Z equals the sum of x capital times capital Z minus y times capital X equals zero, which is an analytical statement of the conditions for the equilibrium of a rigid body before you start pushing it. Uh, from with an outside force and in vector analysis d squared s over d t squared equals a equals constant that of course is the simple formula for constant acceleration etc well I think I've proven the point and that is before you get into non-algebraical mathematics it's important to see how you've got to use algebra in non-algebraical branches of mathematics now let's look at an encyclopedia of mathematics. This is uh, my effort to Christianize and to contribute to and to rearrange the secularistic, humanistic encyclopedia as given in, of mathematics as given in the Encyclopedia Americana. A possible Christian encyclopedic approach to mathematical sciences, and this is what I recommend, this is the way I recommend to teach mathematics at the BA and the MA level to people who want to become Christian mathematicians. This would run as follows. One, introductory mathematics, mathematics 101, which we deal with the triune God in mathematics, the nature, the history, and the goal of mathematics, uh, the development of last week's course on the significance of number, space, and movement relative to the triune God. Second, man and arithmetic, the relationship between the two. Third, Arithmetical operations such as addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, and differentiation. Four, whole numbers and fractions. Very interesting. In the early history of arithmetic, whether it was in Greece or in Egypt or even in Babylon, it was a long time before they, before they were able to deal with fractions. For centuries, they could only deal with whole numbers. And it was a major breakthrough when they finally learned how to add up fractions. Uh, seems so simple to us, but it took centuries before the penny dropped as far as they were concerned. 
then teach them decimals, then discount commission, interest, profit and loss to show them that they get down to earth that these things uh, obviously are important. Then the theory of denominant numbers, time calculations, surface measurements, currency computations, volume, weights, metric, and Anglo-Saxon systems and ratio and proportions. And throughout this, to have tons of practical examples, like we started out with this evening, how Adam estimated the distance between the, the, uh, tree of, the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the other trees, how Noah took the measurements to build the ark, uh, plenty of practical illustrations to show the student the significance and the importance of mathematics. Well, that's just introductory. Now we go on to theoretical mathematics, 201. Advanced arithmetic, rational and irrational numbers, combinatory analysis and determinants and matrices, complex numbers, logarithms and set theory. Then into algebra for the first time, signed numbers and algebraical expressions, algebraical formulas and equations, algebraical factors and roots, powers, processes, number series, rational functions, uh, algebraical functions, invariants, substitution groups, and abstract group and ring and field algebra. Then into number theory, integers and algebraical numbers, then into probability theory, error theory and statistics. This, of course, is laying the foundation of calculus that you get into later. Then analysis of real variables, differential and integral calculus, complex variables being algebraic and elliptic and automorphic functions, differential equations, ordinary and partial, series development, power and trigonometrical and spherical series, calculus of variations, general analysis and functional equations. Then we proceed to geometry. Don't want to be, to be too uh, stiff on this, if a student gets more interested in geometry than algebra at one point, perhaps you could do it the other way around, that's the way it was done in Greece. Um, but to try and develop these sciences more or less in this order and show the interrelationship uh, as we go along. So in geometry, elementary geometry, both Euclidean and non-Euclidean, then descriptive geometry, pure geometry, meaning foundations and projections, plane and solid geometry and topology, Analytical geometry, coordinate systems and conics, algebraic curves, surfaces and n-dimensional space. Then finally differential geometry. Then one would go, I believe, to trigonometry, dealing with plain trigonometry, conventions and definitions and range of variation and periodicity and geometrical depiction and complements and supplements and explements and inverse functions and equations and series, etc., then into the more complicated area of spherical trigonometry, Napier's rules and analogies, and uh, quadrantal and oblique spherical triangles and hyperbolic functions and pseudospherics. Only then would we go to applied mathematics, although we will have been applying some of this all along. But now with this pretty firm theory, we can really go into high gear and solve some complicated practical problems, such as in mechanics. Here we would deal with the various sub-sciences of mechanics, namely statics, the science studying forces in equilibrium, solid dynamics, the science studying the motion of solid bodies, kinetics, the science studying the effect of forces acting to produce motion in bodies, kinematics, the science studying motions in themselves apart from their causes, fluid dynamics, the science studying the motions of liquid bodies, elastics, the science studying deformation resisting forces, vector analysis as the science studying quantities relative to spatial directions, particularly as regards velocity, and ballistics, particularly when you work for the police, as the science studying the motion of projectiles shot like bullets out of revolvers or bombs dropped. Can't be a Christian bombardier and hit the enemy's factory unless you have some knowledge of ballistics. Then uh, astronomy, here descript descriptive astronomy, astrometry, measurement, measurements between heavenly bodies, and astrophysics, a study of the physical behavior of the stars. Practical astronomy, such as telescopy, micrometry, spectroscopy, uh, using the spectroscope uh, by means of breaking up light from stars into a rainbow-like spectrum to enable you to analyze the chemical composition of those stars can be done with great accuracy. Chronography, uh, the uh, more calendar-like, uh, the calendar uses of stars, 
relation movement of the heavenly bodies to uh, predict weather and so forth uh, and astrophotography science of photographing stars very difficult uh, you've got to give a very long exposure to the to the plate and then what you get is not one pinpoint you get an arc on the plate because of course the earth moves and as if the heaven moves and this describes a star as it were describes an arc and a 12-hour exposure right through the night on your photographic plate um, and then finally theoretical astronomy uh, less practical use although necessary to pioneer flights to other planets celestial mechanics mechanical behavior of the stars gravitational fields and orbits etc and of course when you make a mistake there saying that comet Kohutek will come into orbit around the earth and it fizzles out everyone shrugs their shoulders and says what's the use of mathematics well if the maths had been a little, a little uh, less subject to error then of course it would have worked out I had something on error theory I think that got omitted in uh, in an encyclopedia of mathematics anyway uh, mathematics one must also study error theory that's very important together with probability theory system of built-in checks and balances and complicated procedures uh, then finally there is applying mathematics to cybernetics and this is becoming more and more important today particularly in automation electronics radar sonar computer sciences etc and all you have to do is to uh, look at some of these checks even that are sent you to the post and see all these sluts and holes in them and you know that uh, writing is already beginning to be replaced by, by cybernetics and uh, but of course it's not just one of these but there's, there's a whole group of, uh, of different uh, computer languages uh, which you've no doubt heard of now what's the practical application of mathematics to the other non-mathematical sciences what has, got, what has mathematics got to do with psychology and housekeeping and theology well arithmetic amongst many other practical uses is obviously indispensable to physics and chemistry and economics and commerce in particular don't believe me just go into business if you can't add and see how long you stay in business algebra a symbolizing shortcut to arithmetic is clearly of importance in cartography art of drawing up maps meteorology predicting the weather and in bookkeeping geometry is constantly used in building highways carpentry and cabinet making locating and cutting ore veins in mining figuring angles in architecture determining clearances and connections in mechanical and chemical engineering etc I know about gold mining because I used to be a gold miner myself and you are not allowed to handle explosives underground unless you're very highly trained in, in uh, mathematics geometry uh, and arithmetic and in algebra because you've got to work out what's going to happen after you've detonated the explosion and for that matter even mechanics determine what's what's going to happen underground it could kill people or it could get the the, the gold bearing ore out of the vein or it could blast away some other hunk of rock you're not interested in by mistake so you've got to compute all of this before you set off and detonate the charge if you want to do it economically uh, trigonometry or rather ge yeah, geometry we have trigonometry is vital for the conduct of astronomy and surveying that was the Presbyterian preacher problem and the uh, height of the Episcopalian uh, steeple it's also widely used in both aerial and nautical navigation I once took a ship journey from Cape Town to Southampton and I was amazed to go into the map room see how the fellow with the steering wheel had charted the whole of the Atlantic Ocean a huge piece of paper and he had all kinds of mathematical squiggles there triangles any amount of trigonometry that he was using compensating for wave movements and drifts and, and uh, air currents and I don't know what else I never realized it was such a complicated matter to, to, to uh, pilot a ship until I went into that map room but it is calculus well trigonometry is also extremely useful in architecture and even in painting and sculpture calculus is invaluable for advanced mechanics and higher physics and rocketry and space travel in the natural sciences then the mathematical sciences are absolutely fundamental they are indispensable to physics and chemistry and highly useful to botany and zoology and animal psychology too even in the cultural sciences the use of mathematics in logic 
and history and economics is obvious, as well as in the orderly presentation of cardinal and secondary and tertiary arguments and in the recording findings in all of the sciences, including theology. I used a mathematical formula in Westminster Theological Seminary, which I'll describe to you a little later, and everyone was satisfied so far. Now let's take a look at the mathematics at work in the service of the non-mathematical sciences. We give the following examples. In physics, v times t equals v times 0 times 1 plus t over 2 seven three. That means the volume of a gas at any temperature is proportional to its volume at zero degrees centigrade. That's a formula applying Boyle's law and Charles law. In chemistry, well known H2SO4 plus BACL2 equals BASO4 plus 2HCl, meaning one part sulfuric acid added to one part barium chloride transposes by double decomposition into one part barium sulfate and two parts hydrogen chloride. That's a formula describing double decomposition. In biology, CH2NH2CO minus NHCHCH3COOH plus H2O equals CH2NH2COOH plus CH3CHNH2COOH. Meaning, nucleic acid heated in water becomes the amino acids glycine and alanine. That is the biochemical basis of gene action. In psychology, here's a simple one, IQ equals MA over CA times 100, meaning intelligence quotient is equivalent to 100-fold the individual's mental age divided by his actual chronological age. That's the formula for the IQ test, which is supposed to determine how much gray matter you have. In logic, Here's one I had to teach years ago at Shelton College. Uh, period star capital B small b capital B small b period capital B small g capital B d v capital B small b capital B d over small v capital B small a capital B g. That means if a then not b and if g then not d. Either not b or not D. Therefore, either A or G, which of course is the formula for the destructive dilemma in logic. In politics, now this is my own formula, I've tested it and I think it's right, but I may have to verify it later. This is a formula for world takeover. Pi equals the square root of 3 times capital A plus the square root of 2 times small a, which means he who controls the Near East as the center of the earth controls the larger part of the globe itself. This is McIntyre's world island theory that Adolf Hitler adopted as his tactics in World War II, which is why he sent Rommel to Egypt to occupy that area. In linguistics, uh, nasalized A equals 435 VPS over T, meaning the sound nasal A used 435 vibrations per second of a constant tone. That's the application of acoustical theory, which you'd want to get into if you regularly addressed big meetings in auditoriums. In sociology, B ratioed with W equals E1 ratioed with E2. That is, the relation of black and white, of black to white, is equivalent to the relationship of one's, envi one's environment to the others. This is an environmentalistic theory of interracial behavior in sociology. In economics, very simple one, P equals B times R. That is, commission P equals base B multiplied by rate R. The formula, of course, for the payment of commission. In aesthetics, 4 ratio 5, ratio 6, ratio 8. That's the frequency ratio of the notes of the chord C, E, G, musical theory. In juridics, here's one I developed myself, D equals O minus P. Deprivation is equivalent to ownership without possession formula for the theory of the tenacity of ownership rights in spite of theft. In ethics, 1 uh, times H interchangeable with, uh, with uh, W is less than 1 times P interchangeable with C equals N, meaning the love between a husband and a wife should be greater than the love between parents and children. The formula for an ideal relationship between marriage 
involving husbands and wife on the one hand and family involving father, mother, and kids on the other hand. And in theology, three, ratio one equals infinity, the triune God is infinite. Arithmetical formula illustrating God's eternality. Now here's the one I used at Westminster Seminary recently. Capital M plus capital I equals small m plus small s minus small v compounded minus small s plus small m in its progression to big M plus capital I meaning the post-historical infralapsarian elect man will be what infralapsarian man is namely superlapsarian man plus sin minus virtue devoid of his sin and with the addition of what superlapsarian man would ultimately have become namely post-historical superlapsarian man plus the fruits of Christ's incarnation and that means to translate it out of theology into, into good American that means that you and I after the second coming on the new earth will be the way that Adam was before the fall expanded to what Adam would have been had he not fallen minus all sin that's in us now plus the permanent fruits of Jesus Christ's incarnation as the second Adam simple well anyway that's what it means and I think it's true theologically and mathematically then of course the, the uh, geometrical formula showing the interrelationship of the three persons of the Trinity the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are each co-equally and co-eternally one and the same God in spite of their equally eternal personal differences from one another geometrical formula illustrating the relationship between the divine persons and their identical essence by the way if you go to Memphis Theological Seminary of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church they have a a, a stained glass window with this diagram in it to illustrating the Trinity but lastly the relationship between the triune God and mathematics we should note as a created reflection of the Trinity the triadic nature of all basic arithmetical and algebraical and geometrical and trigonometrical operations all of these mathematical operations when you break them down to their simplest progression involve the relationship of one term with two other terms to a new three terms same as the relationship of three persons of the Trinity to one God for example in addition one plus two equals three in subtraction three minus two equals one multiplication two times three equals six division six divided by three equals two differentiation difference between two and three equals one so too similar reflections of the Trinity in a created way are found in all algebra, solid geometry, spheroid trigonometry, etc. Truly, God has not left himself without witness. For the invisible things of God can be clearly seen from the creation of the world. Well, we've been patient tonight, but um, I believe that this is very interesting. Uh, Eye-opening. And... Uh, pretty important for the rest of the natural sciences and even for the cultural sciences I'm no mathematician but if there are any questions I'll do my that. best to try and feel the right <laughs> well it helps if you've got an encyclopedia in front of you too is that a Presbyterian Presbyterian Seagull illustration historical or oh no that's, that's uh, ap apocryphal <laughs> but I just wanted to try and someone once said mathematics is the driest of all sciences and you can't make it interesting well I, I tried to make it interesting by introducing that problem could happen too this Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, 
containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.